influencer on the internet, Ben Bateman. Influencer on the internet. I'm trying. I'm trying to do my best. Like I'm a. I'm like a, like a hot twenty year old dude on TikTok voice. That's that's. You are a hot twenty year old dude on TikTok. Well, I wish I was still 20. twenty. I also yeah. never. I don't think I ever talked down here. Yeah. Well, that's now true. more southern drawl. Added mm. there, that's a little bit different. Some, uh, Sean Bo- some Sean Boswell. Yeah, my wife would be very, very, very <laughs> like just like pins and needles on the back of her head, hearing me try to do a southern accent. Uh, we are the Masters of Modern podcast. We are uh, a show about modern. We're talking today about the most recent set, Dungeons and Dragons in the Forgotten Realms by Magic the Gathering. It's a magic set that's set place in in the main realm of Dungeons & Dragons, the most popular one. There's a bunch of Dungeons & Dragons-y things. Uh, we are reviewing uh, the set for Modern specifically today, but then also just like kind of our vibes on a lot of the cards and mechanics. So definitely, even if you're not a Modern player, stay tuned because it'll be a fun one. Um, we originally were going to do like a big top 10 battle uh, but uh, we realized that there was just like just a little bit too many cards to talk about some cycles that we wanted to go into. So we're just going to break this down by color uh, instead, which makes, I think, Marshall's job uh, are a little bit easier by being able to put in the chapters for colors when he uploads it onto the YouTubes. Uh, there's chapter features now. So if you look below, you'll be able to do that. And to thank us for making those chapters, you should uh, hit the like button. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's a pretty cool set. There's a lot of really interesting cards. We are going to be breaking all of those down. A big thank you to all of our patrons, uh, patreon.com slash mmcast. Your guys' support has allowed us to continue to do this podcast, to continue to build it out. And uh, we're really excited as we move forward back into Magic Fest, hopefully next year, and being able to meet more of you guys to evolve and develop the Patreon content to find ways to involve you guys more as uh, Magic kind of opens back up to the masses in person. So thank you all. Will there be t-shirts? Maybe. Will there be will there be playmats? Maybe. Will there be these types of content? If you guys donate to Patreon and let us know, it helps us know if you want t-shirts and pay, and other types of merch swag or whatever. Um, all right. So we are gonna do this this way. We're gonna go each color. We're not gonna do a Wooberg Orler because I hate rules. I do I do really quickly before you do that, um, would like to just use this moment because something exciting in my life that's upcoming. I buried it at the end of the show last time, and this time I'm just going to throw it right up front here. Uh, I've talked about this a little bit on our shows. I have been working for the last year of my life tirelessly on writing and recording an album of music. I put out the first couple songs, and I'm going to be touring. Right at the end of October, I leave. I will be gone all of the month of November. I'm playing 12 shows across the country, Los Angeles, Austin, Nashville, New York, Boston. Uh, you can get all of the information in the description of this video. Every one of the shows is going to be kind of like a private event. They're all kind of like a private party. I'm, I'm renting spaces. I'm actually going to be playing the full set of songs for you guys and getting to kind of hang out with everybody. So if you've ever listened to the podcast and wondered, you know, it'd be fun to hang out and grab a drink together. That's kind of what this experience is going to be like. And you would be supporting something that is incredibly near and dear to my heart in my dream to go out there and play music. Uh, I put the tickets on sale last week. and I've sold over 100 tickets already so far across the country. So if you are interested in checking it out, do me a favor, click on the link in the description. The more tickets I sell, the earlier I sell them, the more I can guarantee the venues that I am booking uh, instead of, you know, waiting to find out what the capacity is going to be. So thanks for listening to that, guys. And I hope to see you out on the road now. Without further ado, let's get into our spoiler review of this awesome set. Uh, also, this episode is sponsored by TCG Player. If you look below, there's a link to TCG Player. If you click on that, it just remembers that you clicked on it. Don't worry about we're all being spied on by every website we've ever been on, but it puts a little cookie on your on you and anything you buy from TCG Player, they'll know that we sent you and it helps us out. So if you buy stuff on TCG Player, it doesn't cost you anything. Just please click on the link and that way it'll remember that we sent you. Uh, so that's super helpful. 
We're going to talk about green first. The most sure. powerful color in magic. That's the rules, everybody. We've the blue. Blue's got an old, lazy, uh, unable to do all the things that green is able to do, including a lot of the stuff that blue can do. It can draw cards. Uh, <laughs> is this I'm doing the memes? The first thing we're going to start with, though, is druid class. This is the new class mechanic. I do want to talk about classes in general. Uh, basically. Uh, it is a enchantment class, druid class, one in a green. Uh, it's first level as it enters the battlefield. Whenever a land, oh no, no, sorry, it, it it enters the first level with this ability. When a land enters the battlefield under your control, gain one life. That's how it starts. Then, if you spend two in a green, it goes to level two. It still has that first ability, but you may now have the ability to play an additional land on each of your turns. So, level one, gain life, great stabilizer. Level two, Azusa's in play. Now level three for four and a green, uh, when it becomes level three, target land you control becomes a creature with haste and the creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. It's still land. So lastly, you have a big threat at the end. Um, I do think this is maybe what I would consider the best class. Uh, there's a few other ones that people are hyped on. This is the one that I think I'm most excited by. But just in general, the class mechanic, it was pretty hard to rate. And it's one of the reasons we kind of just gave up on the top 10 list was that there's just so many of them. So many can do some powerful things. We have a few additional ones we'll be talking about when we get to those colors. Uh, this is, my, in my opinion, the most powerful class in modern uh, due to its home and its ability to just like slice right into amulet decks and... Um, and Primeval Titan decks in general as a stabilizer that then can grow into an Azusa very quickly and in a deck that can easily get to three mana uh, or pay, just pay to five for a five mana Azusa. And then in the late game can also become the ability to generate a threat uh, that can be as big as an 8-8 uh, if they're able to stop you in other directions. Yeah, I think, uh, what do you think about the the bringing back leveling up as far as classes go? I mean, I always like leveling up back in you know, the Eldrazi days. Uh, it's cool to see it. Uh, I think classes are way better, right? It's it's they're they're they've fixed all the issues I had with level up. They're no longer on a creature, which like is maybe a little bit of a negative. But by doing that, you're able to do it at instant speed, um, and it, you don't have to have like all of the different power and toughnesses in the text box. Like that's all a lot easier. So I think they've been able, and they've been able to make it more powerful, right? Because you don't have a creature attached, you can't. It's not a threat. You don't have things attached to it like a creature. So this allows you to do all those things. And then stuff like Druid class brings a creature to the table, right? A lot of them do something. There's the the uh, the cleric one I also think is one of the ones I like. That one lets you bring, uh, at, for five mana, reanimate a creature from your graveyard, right? So like they they, yeah. they do, there's the the hunter one that gives a wolf when it enters play, right? You get a 2-2. Two -two. So they, some of them do come with creatures attached. And then... As you level up, they're great mana sinks. The fact that they can happen at instant speed, you know, means that they're 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 pretty great, and they're hard to deal with threats, right? Like it, the other issue with level up creatures was always, I played this two two that I now invested eight mana into sorcery speed, and they lightning bolted it in response. Yeah, fair enough. I I, I don't think. None of these classes blew my mind too much. I thought this was a pretty cool one. Um, you know, the blue red one was pretty interesting to me as well. But uh, I think probably this is the. This is probably the best one, at least for the green ones. Yeah, I think I think the other thing is that there's it's a new mechanic. It's a new card type, right? Right. Yeah. How many times have we been bad at evaluating? And by we, I mean the magic community at large, bad at evaluating new types of cards. And this is one of those. So I could be very easy. I would not be surprised if even a, a, a class that we're not talking about on tonight's podcast ends End up, being, up being a good one. I know. Like, it's it's so always good very it gets hard banned, to... right? Like it's hard to evaluate something that you've new never played with before. That's, that's always how it is. Yeah. yeah. 
the next one uh, is a legendary creature dragon. Old Gnawbone in green. Five green green for a 7-7. Seven, seven. Legendary creature flying whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player. Create that many treasure tokens. This card is super, super cool. Um, this is one of my favorites. The first thing that really comes to mind with this card for me is Goria's Vengeance. Um, I just think about doming for seven but then being left with seven treasures after you've done that what means that instead of having tagoria's vengeance for your gristle brand now you have the ability to just hard cast gristle brand if this is if it's stuck in your hand so mm -hmm. it strikes me as a very interesting card that can go into those goria's vengeance decks because of that um i think it sets up nicely it's also another green card if you're going to do the grishol brand style of deck it's another one that you can exile to uh, nourishing shoal to gain some life. That's but uh, that's a, that's one of the things that makes me really excited by it, right? Like it it's yeah, and it's the perfect amount. It's a seven drop, so you can use it with the green shoal to gain seven life, which is the amount of life you need to keep the train going with uh, Grizzlebrand. Like that's like that's the key number. Is the, for those who don't know the way that deck works, is you get a Grizzlebrand into play, uh, and uh, you then use the green shoal, which exiles a green creature from your hand to gain life equal to X, which is its converted mana cost, which as long as it's a seven dropper above gives you a second hit of drawing seven cards. So the goal is with Grizzlebrand is to play Grizzlebrand and get, get green cards with that to keep drawing through your deck until you're able to draw enough other cards that let you gain value. Um, the fact that this also is great in play with the Grizzlebrand, with Grizzlebrand in play, right? Where you can attack with Grizzlebrand, make seven treasures that you can then use to cast the spells you're drawing with Grizzlebrand, making that ostensibly free, and also can combo with stuff like Fury of the Horde, right? Because like, that's what the old Grizzlebrand decks used to do, is they used to chain Fury of the Hordes, which is a uh, a card that lets you take... You untap all creatures you control and you get an additional attack step. So all it's of these the, it's, cards, it's the red, it's the red uh, free exile thing where you can, you know, but, yeah, basically pitch cards from your hand to get the extra attack step. Um, yeah, classic card, cold snap, one of those cold snap treasures. Uh, but yeah, I do think that you know I, I don't see a lot of uses for this green uh, dragon old knobbone other than probably about what we're talking about. But I do think there are interesting opportunities probably to build a deck around just the Gario's Vengeance interaction, um, just the idea that on turn two, you can accelerate and be left with seven treasures. It allows you to do so many crazy things. Um, I just think that alone in itself is a pretty notable, pretty notable piece of tech. Yeah. Um, next card is Circle of Dreams Druid. Green, 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 creature elf druid. Tap it, add green for each creature you control. It's a two one. To me, this like Elvish Arch Druid is already... Uh, a kill on sight must kill threat in elves. It Part of that is the plus one, plus one to all elves, right? It gives a little bit of a backup plan, but this does, this is basically just your arch druids five and six at its worst case scenario. Then you add the layer of like, this is really good in mono green stompy decks or other mono green decks or red green devotion, or, you know, like there's other decks that don't necessarily need the elf feature, but would love a tap add green you know like a Gryas cradle on a creature basically <laughs> and this well, being count, able to do that is really good i mean by my count you have Gaia's cradle which obviously is not legal in modern you have the flip uh the flip card whatever the heck it's called the one that flips into a guy's cradle um and then you have this 
which if I'm, if I'm correct, this is the third one of these, right? There's no, there isn't a fourth card that does that. This is like the third Gaia's Cradle type of ability that exists. I'm not going to confirm that there's not some weird seven drop or something that does it, but that uh, from a like a, th- a tournament playable perspective, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's very interesting. Um, you know, this card exists. I, I, I don't know how much better this is going to be than some of the other things that are already out there. The fact that it's triple green makes me think that like this is really good but like again like elvish arch druid already exists like i, I guess my point is but i would done play i would play eight elvish arch druid if i was given the option like that card's insane right like true it's you, one of that's one of the kill on site cards you yeah. do not lose if you untap with elvish arch druid and like yeah, it, unless you top deck it and you have no cards in hand and you have no cards in play because you're like just losing the game at that point but then you're losing regardless like doesn't matter like having six of these especially with collected company involved and being able to yeah, like that's that's a fair point get more hits on getting a three mana elf ball chain going seems seems like right up right up the alley and then yeah and then all and then the fact that it is triple green is better in devotion decks right like yep. this with the nykthos or anything that needs that multiple green uh pings is going to be pretty good the nykthos component you just mentioned is actually very interesting it really does turbo this out um, but yeah, cool card. Definitely interesting. Should have an opportunity to make an impact. Yep. Now, the last green card today. Sorry if you had another green card you want to talk about. If you want us to talk about a green card we didn't talk about, maybe we'll talk about it next week. But you're going to have to comment that below. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And hit that like button. That one. It's right there. Z formation. Hit the yeah. like. Uh, wild shape. Green instant. Choose one until end of turn. Target creature you control has the base power and toughness. Becomes that creature type and gains that ability. You can be a 1-3 turtle with hexproof, a 1-5 spider with reach, or a 3-3 elephant with trample. We actually talked with uh, Jules Robbins, who is the lead designer of uh, the the set uh, last night on our commander stream every Monday night at 7.30 p.m. PST. Uh, That video is also on the Kess Games YouTube channel, uh, which we'll link below. Uh, That comes up every Friday. So streams on Mondays, videos are up on Friday. Uh, But Wild Shape... Uh, he said that uh, at one point that a lion or a tiger, a tiger uh, was going to be one of the different options on on the card instead of the elephant, where it was going to be like a four two, a four two tiger because they wanted it. to be okay. more aggressive. Basically, the idea is they wanted one protective option, which is kind of the point of the card, and then one defensive option and one aggressive option, and that's where they ended up. Yeah, so I mean, what's interesting about this, and I when I read it, I was a little confused at first. So it doesn't erase the abilities that the card already has. So if it, for instance, if the card has infect, it keeps infect. It just, what it does is it adds another keyword ability like Hexproof, and it changes the base power and toughness and the type. So for the ability for this card to take, say, like a Glistener Elf and take it from being a 1-1 and then make it into a 3-3, that's like just an interesting piece that this card has the ability to do. Um it also has the ability for one to give it hexproof. So it does have sort of the built-in versatility to play in an infect shell. Um, we all know how powerful Blossoming Defense ended up being. And in a lot of ways, Blossoming Defense giving hexproof and plus two plus two to a one one creates a similar thing that this is doing. This just has the versatility. Here. Yeah, the, the benefit here is trample, right? Like, yeah. like Blossoming Defense, Blossoming Defense is better than this card if what you're looking for is, is power buff and hexproof, hexproof right because right. plus because this either gives you plus two plus two or hexproof you can't get both but what this does give you is plus two plus two and trample or protect your creature from a removal spell and i think that's that's the big thing that puts it over the top for me yeah and like the only other one is like sometimes they're just gonna like 
somehow trick you into being able to block with something that would have killed your creature and you can sometimes make it a one five reach situation right. and have it not die to that four four that maybe they pumped or something but yes the 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 elephant giving trample to an infect creature is like i think the big game here because the other options that are like protective spells so it's like this vines of the vast wood um well uh snake skin or whatever Prosa. they don't yeah. Well, no, 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 because those are just pump spells, right? Like the, the oh, protective you're, you're, ones. You're, you're talking about the protective ones. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, uh, all of those do not give trample. And there's not actually a lot of good trample, plus, like one green pump spell give trample. And this does that with having it have the backup plan of being that hexproof card that you often need, which I really like. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like every time they print a new variation on an effect like this, it's very it's always interesting to pay attention to. And it's also interesting to pay attention to because given the nature of the metagame, one of these effects versus another one of these effects is going to be more important. So Trample is something that we didn't have available to us on a similarly costed card. Now we do. So now we have another option to play with. Yeah, this card's cool. So the next section, which is blue... Uh, Yuan T. Malison is the first card. One in a blue. Snake Rogue, 2-1. Yuan T. Malison can't be blocked as long as it's attacking alone. It's a very lonely attacker. Uh, whenever Yuan T. Molison deals combat damage to a player, venture into the dungeon. Enter the first room or advance to the next room. The this card, I pulled this card and we were unsure to talk about it. We wanted to make sure we talked about at least one card that involved the dungeon. Um, I don't know how good this card really is. I think depending on how much value a dungeon actually brings to the gameplay, this will or won't be an incredibly um, high value card. If dungeons are just a medium effect and it doesn't actually get you very far ahead, then this is not much better than any type of, it, it ends up, this ends up being worse than like an Ophidian. But in my opinion, the fact that the creature type is rogue, which has been pushed and is much more significant than it used to be, and the fact that for two every single turn you could advance and get some effect of a dungeon, this may end up being very, very cool. I do think that those rogue decks want to be attacking with more than one creature, though. So I think that's where this gets held up just a little bit. I don't really have a whole lot else to say about this, um, but that's why we pulled it. I mean, the first time it hits, it has the option of either gaining, uh, doing three damage that's unblockable, gaining one life, or scrying one. The second turn it hits, it can create a red one, red goblin creature token, create a treasure token, which is pretty good, uh, scry one, uh, or do two additional uh, damage or have the player discard a card or you discard a card, sacrifice an artifact, a creature in a land, which is an insane thing, but then you get a four, four black God horror creature token on the next hit. Mm -hmm. Um, the next hit is you can get a scry two, you can get a plus one, plus one tag it on the creature. You can drain them. Like it, it, it does do some cool versatile things. Right. And like by the second hit, you're drawing a card. So, so to me, it feels like adventure is like, worth scry two, okay interesting and, and is yeah. but is maybe better than that is like a mer more but like it's a it's like it's somewhere between drawing a card and scry two i think what's interesting about this is that there is always a new sort of method of understanding when it comes to these replacement effects of drawing a card we've talked about this a lot actually right it's it's whether it's a scry if it's a surveil if it's a treasure if it's a clue if it's a food like what is it actually worth? How close is that to just drawing a card? Is it better or is it worse? And so advancing into a dungeon, we're just not quite sure yet how good that is and what it actually right. balances out to being. Um, there's no real way of knowing until we get to play with it a bit more. I right now think it's a little worse than drawing a card, but we shall see. But that's why I wanted to talk about this card. What we got next? Yeah, it's going to be, I'm going to try making the mono green uh, whenever you cast a creature. 
excuse me, a creature spell uh, adventure one once a turn for yeah. our like Monday night commander game, which comes out next week. Uh, this is Monday night, so it'll be a week a week from tonight. Um, I might audible to something different, but that's right now the plan. And if I do that, it'll be interesting to see how what it feels like, uh, how how good adventuring into the dungeon feels like. Uh, the next yep. card is the Black Staff of Waterdeep, uh, sing, a single blue. Legendary artifact. You may choose not to untap the Black Staff of Waterdeep during your untap step. Animate walking statue. One in a blue. Tap it. Another target non-token artifact you control becomes a 4-4 artifact creature for as long as the Black Staff of Waterdeep remains tapped. Activate only as a sorcery. So this card is interesting. What's cool about it, but also a little bit of a hindrance, is that you can't play multiples because it's a legendary. And so you could play two, I guess, but you can't play four of them. And ultimately, if it was non-legendary, it would be sweet because one could animate the other. And that would be nicer. It would be nicer that one of your one-man artifacts in the deck would be able to just like turn into a 4-4. Four -four. This kind of functions like an Ensoul artifact, which is always an interesting effect in modern. Depending on the metagame, you can just like dome for a lot of damage. Where I think this is particularly interesting is the fact that there's a number of pretty good zero mana artifacts that you can play in modern. Um, Tormod's Crypt comes to mind. You know, there's definitely a few others, a bunch that cost one. But if you play one that costs zero, uh, the ability to then play this on turn one, play your zero cost, hit your second land drop. If nothing else on turn two, you just turn your Tormod's Crypt into a 4-4 and swing. And you just leave this tap. So it does allow for those decks that are playing lots and lots of cheap artifacts, zero cost artifacts and soul artifacts, dark steel citadels to have a repeatable ability to dome for four. Um, it, it gives you repeated access to, you know, an actual threat. But how good that is, not totally sure. But I do think it's an interesting card. I think I like it because because before in soul artifact, there was a time where people were playing it as a one of. And the biggest flaw within Sorrel Artifact was always like, if they kill it, you're now two for one. Yeah. And what this allows you to do is you play one of these. A lot of the time it is just a one mana blue artifact that triggers all of your metal craft, uh, uh, makes affinity better, um, is eatable by Ravager, right? It's just like an artifact that does it exists as an artifact in play. But then as the game goes on is able to turn your random ornithopters or your, the new affinity flyers that draw cards or random other things into base power four, four. And, and that on its own is like really powerful. So the fact that it works on both ends is really nice. Also, don't forget any modular creature is a four, four plus it's counter. Correct. So this, correct. Is, this just, this adds four power to an Archman ravager. Um, which is pretty good. I, I mean, that's that's pretty powerful, right? Yeah. And and modular. If you put all of your Ravager tokens onto a Vault Scourge or something like that, um, you just add four power, right? Your Vault Scourge now becomes a four four with all of its tokens. So there's a yeah, there's some interesting stuff with this card. It's cool. I think it's it's unique. I yeah. like it. I like that it's cheap. I'm also excited, just like in standard, to like uh, on Arena jam like four of these and four Treasure Vaults and just like try and get people <laughs> with Treasure yeah. Vaults. Um, the next card uh, is, and this is an ad by you, a uh, Grazalax Illithid Scholar. One blue blue legendary creature horror. When a creature you control becomes blocked, you may return it to its owner's hand. Uh, whenever one or more creatures you control deals combat to which player, damage to a player, draw a card. It is a 3-2. 
Yeah, I mean, the only reason this card is here, and we can just talk about it very briefly, is there is a pretty storied lineage in modern of blue creatures that want to return to the hand to get an ETB effect. And uh, there's like a bunch of them. There's the hideaway one that, that was printed in uh, Modern Horizons 1, that when it leaves play, you get the card under it. There's obviously the Ninja Bear Delver type of decks that want to be returning things to hand and replaying them. Um, there are effects like Vendillion Click and things like that. So I think that it's a cool card because obviously turning your creatures into Ophidians or at least, you know, turning your side into a, an Ophidian offensive is strong. And it also means that because you can return the creatures to your hand, um, if they want to block some of your Merfolk, if you put this into a Merfolk deck or something like that, you just get your Lords back, right? There, you don't really, right. there's not a whole lot of ability for them to uh, just stonewall you. You get through with the stuff you get through with, you draw cards off those, the ones that you don't get through with, you just return to hand and replay. Um, and especially in a deck like Merfolk that's playing off of Merorigery and the whole like tapping on tapping thing, there's actually some value there. So I could see Grazalax being in there it's a very competitive three slot in the Merfolk deck, so I don't know that this is in there. But this is doing two different things that blue decks like to do in one card. So I do think it's an interesting and very cool card that hasn't existed yet. That's what I got. Next card. You come to a river. Ben, you've come to a river. These are your options. Mm -hmm. It's one in a blue. It's an instant. You can choose one of these two options. You can either fight the current or find a crossing. If you were to choose fight the current, you return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. If you were to find a crossing, look for a way to cross the river, you could target creature, get have plus one, plus zero until end of turn and can't be blocked this turn. What card is this? It's called You Come to a River. Oh, it's actually called You Come to a yeah, River. Yeah, one of the cool things about most of the instants and sorceries in this set is that they're like, all the modular <laughs> ones are like a, a encounter or something happens in your adventure and you have to choose option A or option B to be able to beat it or, or, or fight it off. I see. So this is uh, like your your party just walked into a river and you're like, okay, I can try crossing it by like swimming against the current. And then if I do that, I'm going to lose a creature. It's going to get bounced. A new a non-land permanent gets bounced for two. Or I can give this here creature unblockable by finding a way to cross over it. Um, for me, the reason I have this on, on the list to talk about tonight is, is another infect card, right? Like giving plus mm. one plus zero and unblockable lets you get that infect damage in around something that they can't deal with while also giving you the option and versatility of being a removal spell, right? Like return target non-land permanent to his owner's hand for two mana is like on the verge of playable. This is a CDH playable card for sure and is decently playable in this format uh, and adding the ability to do that plus and or get your like big creature in for damage is I think worth the consideration in that deck. A deck that is is often looking for incremental ways to interact out of the sideboard that keep it on game plan. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying there is very, very, very similar to the green card we were mentioning a second ago that is modular in the sense that we have seen a zillion different versions of blue on instant return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. That gets printed in every single set. And there's always a riff on it, whether it's like surveil one, if it's going to be scry one, if it's going to, right? There's always some, right. there's always something to do with it. City's blessing, something. This one adds our ability to now get plus one, plus zero, and unblockable. So that just fits a little bit more nicely into the deck that wants that effect. We haven't had this version of it yet. And I think what you're saying is pretty true. Uh, getting, you know, a pump is great while also clearing the way or buying yourself the turn for your already, you know, pinging away infect style deck. Um, I don't know that this is playable, but it is an option we haven't had before. So it's cool. 
Um, the next card is Tasha's Hideous Laughter. One blue blue sorcery. Each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until that player has exiled cards with a total mana value of 20 or more. So I put this down, and the reason I wrote this down is because um, in the old days, the best mill card that existed was Glimpse the Unthinkable, right? That was what it was. It was blue, black, mill 10. Mm -hmm. um, and you would get 10 cards for two mana. Over the years, they would play with that ability and they would give us a more aggressive one. Uh, for two mana, you'd get seven, you'd get eight. Um, now, milling has been pushed so far that two for 10 doesn't seem that good anymore. So you used to look at the ones that cost three, Sanity Grinding, Mind Funeral, all these different ones like that. And for three mana, your rate had to be really strong because three was more of an awkward mana cost, especially in modern, right? Mm -hmm. So where I look at this card and this card stands out to me is that the CMC in modern is so low by like in general, there are some decks that play almost entirely one drops, um, one drops, you know, ones and twos combined with mana for three mana here. There's a very real possibility. You're going to end up milling 20 cards. Um, it's, it's totally possible. You will end up milling 20 cards for three mana. And I mean, certainly there's, you know, you're playing against blue white and you hit like Teferi or, or you're playing against Death Shadow and you hit like an angler and that kind of screws you. But also just the fact that like lands have zero means that, you know, with a bunch of one drops and two drops and a bunch of lands, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. This is going to be between 15 and 25 cards for three mana. So I could and, and in multiples, it doesn't get any worse. It's not like, you know, you do it once and then the second one has diminishing returns. This is the kind of the kind of thing within like a Snapcaster style deck or something like that, I could very easily see um, a couple of these just winning the game. You know, I, I think may, maybe not, maybe three is too slow and you're not going to get the job done because you're just interacting with the part of the board in their deck that has no bearing on the rest of the game. But this is the kind of card that if you play it at a certain point in the game, it's not like traumatized where it's half the deck, you know, cards like that get worse. If you play this later into a mill game, this just mills the rest of their deck in some cases. They don't have enough left. This just, it's over. You play this, you win. Right. So I think that there's probably a mill deck. That deck was already getting competitive. They've, they've been so aggressive now with the printing, Maddening Cacophony, and all these other cards the last couple of years. I think that deck already was good. This just feels like a finisher. For three mana, this is going to finish them off a lot of the time. Well, uh, something that's interesting to me on this, I think that like... There are decks with Laros in it, right? Laros decks is the and and you have Blitz, and those decks have probably an average converted mana cost of like one point five, and that doesn't include lands often. So even if they have an average converted mana cost of like one point eight, if you add lands, you get closer to one. So like, then you're getting close to this hitting on average twenty cards. I think you, I think you're probably closer to ten to fifteen, like is what what I would expect, though. Um, that can change. Uh, and with that in mind, I think like it's just over the line to me for like a mill deck three mana at sorcery speed versus like there's now so many good two mana options that do like seven to ten that are more guaranteed. Exactly. Um, you're not just gonna, but like on the other hand, the decks that are playing with higher expensive things, those expensive things are needed for them to win the game. And if you just exile two of their primeval titans, maybe they can't win or they can't draw into the next one. So so I think that's I, the point you make that stands out to me, right? Which is that basically if a deck is playing, if a deck is playing something that costs five or six, it's one of their best cards. You're getting rid of like a lot of the time, the best thing they're doing. Right, right. Now, the fun thing also is in CDH, uh, like where the average deck converted mana cost is 1.2, if not less than that. These, yeah. This is a blowout card. This just like eats 
half of your opponent's graveyards. And yeah. the nice thing about that format is that often if you just like get their one of their combo pieces, their decks actually no longer can win. So I actually think this is like a CDH staple. Um, interesting. Because it'll just like, hey, three opponents, if you get unlucky and your Thassa's Oracles are in the top 20 converted mana costs of your deck, you lose. Or yeah. you have to figure out another way to win. Good luck. I've always <laughs> um, been fascinated with mill decks. I think this card's really cool. Yep. Uh, Next card, Demi-Lich. Blue, 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 4-3. This spell costs blue less to cast for each instant and sorcery spell you cast this turn. Whenever Demi-Lich attacks, exile up to one target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. Copy it. You may cast the copy. You may cast Demi-Lich from your graveyard by exiling four instants and or sorcery cards from your graveyard in addition to playing its other costs. This card is dope. This might be my favorite card in the set. I'm pretty much right there with you. Or I think scariest. I really, yeah, I mean, I there's like a couple reasons that it's so dope. The first one is that I need to own this in foil. I like love the art. It's so like, it's so reminiscent of the uh, those skeleton ghosts in Zelda mm -hmm. when you get into uh, which 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 uh, temple is that? Um, they're in the forest temple. Is that what it is? Yeah, because okay, remember yeah. you like turn over the hallway and then they're like in that room and then you can like, yeah, flip it over. Right. Totally. It is the forest temple. Yeah, it's very reminiscent of those. They're in um, a bunch of other ones, right? That's like a common a common yeah. Zelda enemy throughout all Zelda games. But that's like the distinct one I'm remembering. Yeah. So I think this feels like a card shadow temple Phoenix decks. They, they could really push Phoenix decks back up. I know Phoenix decks have already kind of been back in the top 10 or 12, but this feels like Phoenix's five through eight. Like this feels better than the, um, the crackling Drake that we, we used to see people playing. Mm -hmm, this just feels mm -hmm. like a card that if you, and this is another one of those cards where the, the banning of Gataxian probe is so essential. Cause like that is the card that would make this just like so many different decks. Sure. Gataxian probe makes this just a complete insane card. But I mean, even those decks, because they're, they're playing gut shots and lava darts, depending on which build um, combined with, you know, just like one mana cantrips, thought scour, right. filling up your graveyard. Like this is just a good card. I mean, this card is doing a lot of things that you need, it doesn't have any evasion and it does get lightning bolted and you do spend a lot of resources to get this thing into play in some cases. So it's not like it's just busted not, powerful. Not necessarily, right? Like you could literally just spend through four mana. Like four mana four. It's not like it's not like you have to cast instants and sorceries ahead of time. You just it gets cheaper. So for every one drop you play on turn four, every one drop you play just lets you play this in addition to those one drops. And then and then once it's in your graveyard, like what I love about this card in those decks is it's a great like backup engine for 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 like blitz decks where like, oh, they've been able to answer all my creatures. But it doesn't matter that you answer this. This is my graveyard. It's going to come into play. If you can't get rid of it before I attack, it's going to it's going to better than Snapcaster Mage and Instant or Sorcery out of my graveyard, including getting to like like you could bring it back for um, the uh, Magma Opus decks. Oh, yeah, because right? because you don't have decks. to you cast the copy. You don't have to you don't have to pay for it. So being able to like attack with this get the magna opus magna opus you can use the ramp in this if you need to yeah i think this card's really sweet and like we haven't even got to the point of like talking about like trying to make um what's it called happen the mill deck yourself deck the uh uh, uh this has hogak 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 oh, 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 this sure, has hogak sure. vibes because once because the cool thing about this card is also is once you cast four instants and sorcery spells that's it 
right? You're you have now cast. You don't need to cast anymore. So it will always cat. It'll always be free from that point on. No matter how many you want to cast that turn, all of them are free. It's not legendary either. So if you cast four and you have two in your hand, you can put both of them into play. Right. It has a little like it has some Vengevine vibes in that sense. And the fact that it's a four or three actually is even more on brand there. Yeah. I mean, I also think the the one the middle ability here that we're not really talking about, which is just the value ability, whenever it attacks, exile up to one target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard, copy it. You may cast the copy. Like the all the other stuff is really cool, but oh, just like it, I was wrong. You can't you don't get to cast it for free. You don't get Magna Opus. You just get a copy of the card that you now can cast. Yes, 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 yes. It works like that other card that they just showed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. I was wrong there. Uh, but what I'm not wrong about is being able to hogak these. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just think like having this as a 4-3 that like, because like we're talking about all the combo-y versions of this, you know, but we're also like not talking about the just like, this is in your hand and maybe you don't have any kind of wild shenanigans. Maybe it's just like turn four, you just cast like, you know, you just cast a uh, an opt and a thought scour and then just a four three for two mana. And now the next turn when you attack with it, you just get to flash back your opt or your thought scour. Like or it's a very good or... value yeah. card. It just has a lot of value. Yep. I, I think this card's like really great. And like the fact that there's conversations on like it just being decent in general and conversations of it being a combo piece is like the exact place where a card starts looking scary. I think this is in the top three cards of the set uh for sure i also just like don't you want this card in foil i feel like it's gonna look so dope in foil yeah Yeah. uh it's gonna depend on what the foiling process looks like for the eyes and the smoke that's fair it could look really dull like if like just like the skull and the background all just like are flat with each other if they're not if they do a good job though it could be really cool if they do a bad job i'll just pay for an altar because this as an altar could also be insane yes yes all right we're now on to the color white White's getting close to dope. We're getting close. Like we are, we are in the midst of it being two and a half years from when everyone started complaining about white, and we are getting answers to those complaints. Speaking yep. of which, Guardian of Faith, one white, white Spirit Knight, Flash Vigilance, three two. When Guardian of Faith enters the battlefield, any number of other target creatures you control phase out. Yeah, I mean this card. The one thing about this card that's like a little wonky, well. It's three mana, and they, they've actually given us a spirit, correct? They've yes. given us a bunch of different really sweet three mana spirits now over the last few years. So many that, in fact, it's there's no way to like play them all in a deck. You have to like pick and choose which ones you want. Mm-hmm. And there's not even like a clear delineation of like which ones are the best ones anymore either. So it's another great option. I think this card's really cool. And I actually think now that I've seen more of it, I'm actually totally fine with phasing having come back it was such a confusing ability back in the day that they stayed away from it for a long time what's dope about phasing what i like about phasing so much is that like it doesn't have enter the battlefield leave the battlefield things Mm -hmm. it doesn't it's like one of the few things where like you can essentially exile something without actually worrying about that and so it totally invalidates the card like it's not there to be affected anymore I got really used to doing this because I enjoyed Teferi's Protection so much, as many people do. That card's so powerful. Um, once I started getting used to doing that, then I was like, oh, yeah, this ability's great. Just, like, bring this back, but don't put it on, like, a stupid island, like, or stupid land like the Fairy's Isle, because that card's terrible. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, I think they, A, they know how not to make terrible cards now, right? They're not, like, using yeah. phasing as a drawback yet. And even if they did, they would, like, know what the v- cost needs to be to make it worth it. Um, but B... 
the Jules talked about this on the on the on the game we did yesterday uh, on the on the stream. And, and basically he said because of enter the battlefield effects being so powerful now, especially blink was hard to cost correctly as yeah. a way to protect creatures, because sense. more often than not, if we printed blink on something, it was more easily done to take advantage. Like ephemerate does with the, with the, the, um, you, creatures, with the yeah. you know, solitude that like, that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is create cards that can be aggressively costed that can protect stuff from board wipes or protect stuff from removal spells uh, or protect you from damage like Teferi's protection and this allows you phasing coming back allows to do it and they and they figured out a wording um that like was easier for people to understand the one the one thing that's interesting to me is that like I think in spirits you still want the three one that you can sacrifice to give everyone indestructible I still think that's better than this card oh, the, in the that deck so, self self spirit so the two one yeah yeah uh yeah. but I yeah. think this card Honestly, I want to see more play in other value engine decks that aren't yes. necessarily spirit focused. Like, I don't think this card is that good in spirits. I think this card is better in decks that want to protect their threats um, or just want to be able to have this kind of re like more control decks that want to protect creatures that they have in play um, yeah. or want to be able to like wipe the board and protect things that they have. I think like there's a couple different ways that this card is also really, really cool. So the way that phasing is worded is that they return to the battlefield under their owner's control at the beginning of their controller's next turn, which means that this card can flash in. Uh, if you guys are in some sort of a combat situation, if you're playing a creature deck and they're playing a creature deck, you can flash in your creature. Um, you can block. Sorry, you can block with your creatures, flash in Guardian of Faith. They phase out. They no longer exist. Um, now they come back into play under your control during your turn. They don't like summoning sickness isn't a thing. And now you have three more power plus you've saved your creatures. I am correct in that, right? You can block and then before damage phase them out. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that creates a, a big time swing as far as your ability to block with a bunch of creatures, flash this in, phase everything out turn around, attack with those creatures, adding three more power to your board. Um, that's really powerful. And then the last thing about this card that I think is really cool, they actually have been pushing Knight just a little bit more as a creature type the last couple of years. We've seen more Knights. Spirits we've seen a ton of, but Knights are something they've been doing more and more of. So the fact that this is a protective Knight in a tri Knight tribal deck is another very cool thing. Spirits have a lot of those. Knights don't. Right, right. Next card. This is one of my favorites in the set. Uh, and there's like a chance I just make this. I like get rid of my other. I get rid of Halvar because I didn't really love Halvar and just make uh this guy my my new best friend, Oswald Fiddlebender. Officially a gnome in Magic, a gnome artificer, legendary creature. Uh, two two magical tinkering, white tap, sacrifice an artifact. Colon, search your library for an artifact card with mana value equal to one plus the sacrificed artifact's mana value. Put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. Activate only as a sorcery. This is a two mana legendary birthing pod for artifacts. We it's really did it. good. <laughs> um, this is actually a card that I think would be really fun to build. And this is, we haven't talked about it yet, but I think this would be a really fun commander, a mono white commander. I think this would be a super fun card to build with. Um, but as far as modern goes, it's very powerful. Um, there are really, really good chains you can do. I'm sure there are probably already really, really cool birthing pod esque artifact chains that people have come up with. And last but not least, I would just like my alias in life to be Oswald Fiddlebender. 
I mean, that's just a phenomenal, that's just a phenomenal it is, alias. It is a good, it is a good name. It is a good name. Yeah. I like this. I love, I love me some artificers sacrificing. I like a goblin artificer. I like an Oswald Fiddlebender. I'm gonna, um, I like a birthing pod. I like an Oswald Fiddlebender. I the, like chains. I'm, I, I haven't in my head figured out exactly what the like combination of cards you need to just win the game with him is. Um, but I'm sure it's there. I'm sure there's a pod, I'm sure there's a pod chain with artifacts to get you to the win. Yeah. The other thing that's cool about this too is that the uh, spell bombs, not the first set, but the second set of spell bombs, when they go to the graveyard, you're able to pay one to trigger their card draw ability. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to. You don't have to sacrifice them to draw a card. If they are sacrificed to something else, I, like I think this is the case with like Nile spell bomb. When it goes to the graveyard, if you pay one black, you get to draw a card. And so I believe that's true. Um, mm-hmm. So that means that if you have a card like that, which is just a generally really good, valuable card in your deck and you play it and you're like, well, I don't need to pop this right now to exile their graveyard. You can pop it to Oswald Fiddlebender, get a two mana artifact into play for one, pay the one black to draw a card to keep your value engine going. Um, And I know Nile Spellbomb is going to be one of the key cards in general that you're going to see in decks with this card that people just play in general. And having it and the ability to use it as an engine piece that also draws you a card is very, very important. So, yeah, I think this is going to be one of the more played cards in the set, I have to guess. Like, you can you can use this. So so you can sacrifice a one-drop artifact, any of the spell bombs. You can get Corridor Monitor, which untaps Oswald. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I think there is also a three-drop that enters and does an untap thing. Uh, so, yeah. So there's... there's there's I'm, I'm excited to figure out, my like, a way to just like pod chain into some type of combo win (laughs) yeah uh that's that's what i'm here for but uh yeah this guy's i'm he's really dope i really like him i'm excited to to do some shenanigans uh yeah agreed not to mention in modern you have options like eggs and you have options like uh uh uh, just even regular affinity and being able to get like go up the chain and or yeah like i like 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 old like ironworks type of decks i mean there's yeah there this it's this is this is another yeah this is another piece that goes into like word x um that allows you to build slightly differently also probably this ends up playing pretty well in like a lantern control style deck um this is probably a pretty good way to to set up some of those pieces that you need i'm so excited it's a white card as well this is like the exact type of thing i've been saying needs to be in white and they like finally did it and i'm like super hyped yeah uh, next we have like what i believe is the best white card in the set uh and one of the best cards i think i had this as my second best card in the set uh portable hole white artifact when portable hole enters the battlefield exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls with mana value two or less until portable hole leaves the battlefield this is one of those types of cards where the design space was open and they hadn't done it yet. And this is this is this is one of those great designs where you're like, oh, yeah, like I'm sure somebody thought about this. I'm sure this had come across someone's desk as an option at some point, And then they just were like, yeah, this doesn't exist yet. What a, what a cool thing. A white artifact that's going to exile an online permanent. It's opponent control. So it can't you can't do your own thing cmc two or less like this is just perfect it's not an enchantment it's an artifact so it plays in that kind of oblivion ring space i i I like that they're doing more colored artifacts too actually that's something that like they've started to lean into more the last few years that we originally saw in one of the alara sets i like colored artifacts i think they're cool 
Yeah, we saw Eldraine. We saw more of them. I, yeah, I think this card's fantastic. I really like this card a lot. Yeah, it's 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 obviously it's a very flavorful Dungeons and Dragons card. This is like one of the few times I've played Dungeons and Dragons. I have had this item and it's dope. Uh, survived a bunch of demons trying to murder me for a while. Um, it allows it's just like it answers so many things that are important in the format. There's a reason that engineer explosives is good right now. This eats most of those things. As we mentioned earlier, like just CMCs in the format have gotten so small and it being able to be just like an efficient sorcery speed removal spell. It does kind of feel to me that it's like a little late now that prismatic, uh, Omen is now in the set. I hope that's mm. what the card is called, but, um, the, you know, the one prismatic ending, sorry. Uh, the, the modern horizons card one and X, exile a thing equal to um how many colored mana you've spent to cast the spell right and it's that scales a little bit better than this but only a, like that goes to three and this goes to one and like this is one and two always so if the format becomes a little bit more lenient on two drops and one drops versus three drops i think this becomes a more play uh but cool. it, it'll be an interesting kind of combo of this path and that and which one's the best removal spell in the format well, remember also this says target non-land, not non-token. So this is also a one white way to kill any token forever, which is very good. It's a very, very, very good thing that this card does. It's ver it's versatile, but gets rid of many, many tokens. Go ahead. All right. We are now into the world of red. There's some good red cards in the set. I'm actually excited. Uh, about in the, cool. Before we get there, I do want to say thank you to all of our patrons one more time, as well as to make sure to check out all the links below for ways to follow the podcast. If you haven't, please hit a like. If we missed a card in one of the colors that we're talking about tonight, please comment below which cards you'd like us to talk about on our recap next week. Uh, and please check out on the Kess Games YouTube channel uh, link below. Last week's game, we had Shivam Bot from the Commander Advisory Group and Jules Robbins, who is the head of the color red on the color council of wizards at wizards of the coast as well as the lead designer from this the dungeons and dragons set that we are talking about today so it was Wait, really fun Jules episode. Was the lead designer of the set i did not know that yeah that's did you so not catch cool. that yeah yeah that was why he was like yeah I, I was the lead designer for this oh that's amazing I, I mean we were talking i guess i must have just missed that detail that's so cool yeah. i mean that's it's so exciting that like some of our close friends from from years past and here in los angeles have gone on to just make the game we love so much that's like a really cool thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. For those who don't know, Jules, uh, there's actually, if you want, there's even like the second episode of the podcast ever it has Jules Robbins on talking about magic back in like 2014. Uh, it's 2015. It was, it was before Ben. Jules has been on this podcast longer than Ben has. Crazy. <laughs> uh, next, first, for the first red card, Hobgoblin Bandit Lord. One red, mm. red creature, goblin rogue. Other goblins you control get plus one, plus one. It's a classic Goblin Lord, uh, but it's got the ability of Red Tap. Hobgoblin Bandit Lord deals damage equal to the number of goblins that entered the battlefield under your control this turn to any target. It is a 2-3. Oh, yeah. um, people are mostly excited because this is just another good card with Snoop decks, right? Like just having one of these is an additional way for that deck to just kill your opponent if you're able to get enough tokens into play. Uh, and on top of that is just a good Lord to be able to have in play. Uh, and those two things together make it easily playable in a in a deck that is looking for easily playable could good versatile goblin creatures yeah i mean i think that anytime a deck like that gets another piece that costs three it's a little funky just because like in modern you need the cost to be so low and aggressive that this is very good but it's not pushed in the same way that i think 
I mean, it would be really pushed if it costs two. But the thing that's especially cool about this is those decks often have a bunch of creatures swinging with haste because of some of the other lords. Also, Skirk Prospector sacrificing creatures with this having haste to have the mana to activate this, even if you've sacrificed a bunch of creatures to get mana, doesn't matter because it's how many had entered the battlefield under your control this turn, not ones you have in play. Even if you sacrifice them for mana, this still taps to get mana, uh, to, to get damage out. The the one card that it is really good with is, uh, like, as you were mentioning, like, normally three mana spells aren't the best in, uh, in like, like there's like a pretty a gluttony of different three mana lords available to tribes. And those aren't normally the best. The thing that goblins has over other ones is because of Snoop, uh, you're able mm. to like, you have a two drop that as long as this is on top of your library, you gain this ability. So you can take advantage of stuff in that sense. Uh, and it plays pretty well with empty the warrens too. Yeah, like exactly. Idea. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. For the, the, the fecundity goblin deck combo decks, which mm-hmm. are always mm-hmm. really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, next card is Flame Skull. One red, red skeleton flying. Flame Skull can't block. Now, you were talking about the skeletons from uh, Zelda. <laughs> yeah, this is actually awesome. that card. Uh, the artwork is literally a skeleton with flyer coming out of its eyes and head. Flame Skull cannot block. Rejuvenation. When Flame Skull dies, exile it. If you do, exile the top card of your library. Until the end of your next turn, you may play one of these cards. If you cast Flame Skull this way, you can't play the other card and vice versa. It is a 3 1 uh, flying. So, bare minimum through and flying for three uh that when it dies it draws you a card that card that it draws draws is either going to be itself or something better if you want that other thing sadly this does not go infinite with food chain i thought it did it doesn't because food chain exiles a thing and this does not let you cast it if, if it gets exiled it has to die and then trigger so you let me know. ask you this um two questions first of all Love, love, love the art on this card. Love how rock and roll this card is. It's such a metal card, Flame Skull. Um, however, Rejuvenation, keyword ability on this that describes what it does. Now that you've read through the whole set and we're sitting here and we're breaking down all the cards, does the sheer amount of text and all of the different names bother you? Or are you cool, still totally cool with it and excited about it? Uh, it definitely lost its um, coolness as the set previews kept going, right? Like my brain has stopped reading them i still like it uh but i think i've moved towards i would rather it be something they use infrequently versus something they do all the time yeah i said this earlier uh, when you were up getting water to the patrons and maybe you'll hear it twice here but my general takeaway from the set when i read through it was i thought there was a little too much text and even though those words like rejuvenation they're actually irrelevant they're just there for flavor purposes like they don't actually have any bearing and I'm able to ignore them. I kind of had the feeling reading through the spoiler for the set that I sometimes have when I read a new, um, I open a booster in like a draft format that I'm unfamiliar with mm-hmm. where it's a little wordy and I find my brain hurting trying to read all the cards. Like I need too much time. So I just start skipping words and ignoring them and just paying attention to the stats that I recognize. That's a little bit how I felt about this set. Um, that being said, that has nothing to do with this card because this card is sweet, but just just a comment. I, I feel like that's fair. I think I think like... The one problem with this set is like because of the D20s and the classes, there's like very, very long cards. And so adding this to that type of set makes it maybe a little bit tiresome versus on a set that would maybe be a little bit more simpler, would it would matter less. I, I agree. I think in the long run, these are going to be this is cute, but I don't think I would want to see it more. My brain is definitely more tired with it than I thought I would be. Yeah, this card is really cool to me for two reasons. Number one, I like skeleton as a creature type. I just think it's like cool. Uh, second thing, though. This is a recursive red threat that's not a phoenix. We don't get very many of them. 
Um, that's not something that they do very often. They're almost always phoenixes. And this, a flying red creature is cool, right? Like, just the fact that this is a pretty aggressively costed, a 3-1 flyer for three, that also continues to come back, I think is a, is just a very cool piece of the equation. Plus, if you're playing this in a deck where like, okay, my 3-1 flyer is not going to be able to get in, they have bigger flyers, they have blockers, or they have like a way to just kill this over and over again, that's cool. I'll let this stay exiled and I'll play the other card because it gives you the option to get a different card. I think this card's versatile and cool and unique, and I wouldn't be shocked if you see this start to show up in certain styles of decks that don't already exist. Yeah, I think it's cool. I agree. Uh, next card is Minion of the Mighty. One red for a creature kobold. Menace. Pack Tactics. Whenever Minion of the Mighty attacks, if you attacked with creatures with total power six or greater this combat, you may put a dragon creature card from your hand onto the battlefield tacked and attacking. Zero, one. This is sweet just because it has the ability to sneak giant dragons into play. Yeah, I mean, there's like a couple different uh, ways that this is like epically dope. Um, so first of all, it's a zero one for one, which on turn two, you can just scale up this card and make its base power toughness six four for one green. And just by doing that, if they don't kill it, you can put into play a Bogarden Hellkite or any one of the Giganto dragons that are available. And it doesn't put that dragon in play tap and attacking temporarily. It puts it in play permanently. Dragon Lord of Tarka. Um, I would say Hellkite's probably the one that comes to mind just because you get the five damage right off the bat and then it's also attacking. But then like this card on turn one combined with dragons and like ball lightning, you know, or like Ball Lightning or the um, the Jund one from Modern Horizons one that I'm not thinking of the name right off the hand. Um, or it's not Jund, the, the Rakdos one, the one that uh, is is red, red, black, and they discard two cards, does like Lightning. So like any of those with this card. Blight, you, uh, lightning Skelemental. Yeah, if you literally play this on turn one and have a dragon in hand and play any of those 6-1 Tramplers for three, Groundbreaker, whatever, uh, it's just like, I mean... If it's Bogarden Hellkite, then you're getting five damage plus the five attacking plus the ball lightning. That's 16 damage on turn three. That's just coming completely out of nowhere. You might just win the game on turn three. You might have just done something on turn two and just like it's over. Right. So if you scale up on turn two and then you ball lightning on turn three, it's, it's that's it. That's it. Game is over. It's done. So uh, I think this card is combo centric and the fact that it costs one, not two as we've seen like that elemental um, elemental one that can like put something into play, like an aura from your graveyard into play that people were getting super into last year. Uh, I can't think what the name is right now, but this is even more aggressive than that because it costs one. So uh, just, just a card that stood out to me as a, you know, cool little enabler for sure. Uh, Wish two red sorcery. You may play a card you own from outside the game this turn. They printed just, wish it now exists all of those wish cards they're this <laughs> number one thing about this card that i think is the best this is a red ability i'm glad that it's in red it feels like a red ability and the fact that it is the most expensive version of this it's not two right like glittering wish costs two this costing three makes it aggressively costed but not cheap and the fact that it's red is exactly accurate like i don't even think this card's exciting i think it's just a fair card yeah, I think I think storm decks are already talking about it, right? If being able to find any storm piece out of your sideboard is like really good. And like it's going to see I think it's definitely going to see play in modern. There's other decks we've talked about that. This just being an available option is very, very strong. Mm. Um, 
but I think it's fairly costed. I think three mana to have to do that is totally fine. Yep. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's funny. I have I don't have that much to say about it. It just it seems like a card that you would have thought existed by now, but you know, yeah, it does, does not. Yeah. So for those who I guess for those who don't know, this is based on there's a series of wish cards that all do this from way way back in the day that aren't not modern legal. Judgment, I think. Judge, yeah, that like range for, and they all are a little bit more specific. The only one that's legal currently in modern is Glittery Wish that can find a gold card. That card has never totally made it, though. It has been format power like it has been a very powerful card in the format a few different times um mm -hmm. and it just is never those decks have actually gotten cards banned out of them which is why it's fallen out of favor but it's just a powerful option to find good cards out of your sideboard either if you're having a combo deck like storm being able to cast this from your graveyard to find those cards or if you're a um just like getting your grape shot or getting your empty the warrens or get uh the next storm piece you need or get like if your opponent just happens to have like a piece of graveyard deck main deck being able to get a removal spell yeah. so like mm -hmm. it's just going to be a really versatile option always and for decks that are already trying to tutor this allows them to have a three mana tutor uh which i think is really cool um, yeah. I think Wizards also realized that like wish effects are probably great for all 60 card formats because you don't have access to you don't have to shuffle as much. Um, yes. So it's like a helpful thing there. It's like one of the major that's like one of the major design focuses. It seems like over the course of the last couple of years is like less shuffling. They're like arena is great because we don't have to shuffle. And so we can avoid that. That's why you see that's why you've seen a lot more effects like this. Well, like Planeswalkers that can get something from your sideboard, so on and so forth. Yeah, Learn. It's, it's interesting the difference between. Like Arena wants it because best of one is looking for more ways to make sideboard cards relevant in a format where you don't have a sideboard and mm -hmm. like learn, etc. And but they don't care about shuffling. But then they're like, but also win win in formats like modern and standard and paper magic where we're trying to avoid as much shuffling. This cuts shuffling out. This makes it so you don't have to shuffle anymore in the game. So it's like a win win for both digital and paper and a weird amalgamation that then commander just has to ignore. And this is the last red card we're going to talk about today. It is Zariel, Archduke of Avernus, Legendary Planeswalker Zariel, two red, red, plus one. Creatures you control get plus one, plus zero, and gain haste until end of turn. Zero, create a one, one red devil creature token with when this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. Minus six, you get an emblem with at the end of the first combat phase on your turn. Untap target creature you control. After this phase, there's an additional combat phase. Loyalty four. So it... Uh, ultimates after two turns, if you just give plus one, plus zero in haste. What I like about this card is as a zero ability, it does the the uh, Elsbeth thing, right? It does four zero or four just net neutral. I'm not subtracting loyalty. I'm making a one one token to protect my Planeswalker. That's like the bare minimum what a Planeswalker needs to be able to do in some way at four mana is protect itself. And now and it's been outclassed. And people underrate, people underrate devil tokens. The yes. whole, the, it dies and deals one damage thing. They underrate the fact that like it can, it, it can kill two twos. Like it, it actually, it's better. Yeah. And like, 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 and, and Tybalt, three mana Tybalt for more of the spark has seen play in modern now, partially more because of its other ability of players can't gain life, but the devil tokens are not irrelevant. And one of the reasons it is still seeing play and like the fact that obviously, you know, gut shot is playable in this format. The fact that just doing one damage to target creature is good enough is another one of the reasons that this card will see play. Just like that token is a real threat as a blocker. Then you add the ability that to untap. So you can protect her. She's protectable pretty easily. Then you get to untap and giving haste to anything you play in a turn with a planeswalker is not to be underestimated. 
Like this is a sideboard card for Primeval Titan decks or just like getting to play any type of like card you have with with haste is very good. Top decking a Tarmogoyf and making it uh, like a 6-6 haste for two is like an insane ability in Jund. Like there's just like things you can do with this that this feels probably underrated. Yeah, I mean, I'm not as excited about this card as you are. We did a little TikTok review of this card last week um, on your TikTok, which you guys can go follow Alex at, at, at Tess Wiley, Wiley same as on TikTok. Um, but uh, yeah, I, this card doesn't wow me. I think four mana Planeswalkers nowadays have to be like really bonkers, I feel like, to get my attention. And this doesn't feel bonkers. It just feels like perfectly good. Um, but I understand why you like it. And I, I do like I do like that you get to make a devil for zero. I think that that's powerful. All right. We're now into the black mana uh, part of the evening. I When I saw this card, I was like, this, this card. This card is Ben Bateman entering his next show being like, I'm ready to play some music. Uh, and it is Grim Wanderer, one black yep. goblin warlock, which I thought was funny. Uh, 5-3, it's Flash. Tragic backstory, cast this spell only if a creature died this turn. Yeah, so this card is... I mean, there's a couple reasons this card is cool, right? I was trying to brew a deck around this card to figure out how to make it work best, but I think a 2-mana 5-3 Flash creature is good anyway like that's just a good card um needing it to needing to have a creature die to do it you need to have some control over that but there are certainly cards like um wild canter and skirk prospector that allow you to sacrifice to themselves to create mana so they kind of do double duty to get this card into play i was trying to figure out could you play this with like a bone picker deck you know because the three two bone picker it's a three two flyer death touch Cost three less to cast if a creature died this turn, so it ends up being a one mana card. Like Wild Cantor on turn one casts a three two flyer with Death Touch, and Wild Cantor then, if you already have it in the deck, allows you to cast this. So now you're kind of two for oneing yourself to be able to get the good rate, and that starts to play into the Mirror Superior space, which you know I love already, which is creature mana. Um, you can like throw a Noble Hierarch into a deck like that, so you're getting the Jund mana. You know, there's cool ways to do this. I just don't really a hundred percent know how to make this card pushed but i do think that a 5-3 flash creature for two is good as long as you can guarantee you'll always be able to cast it so it stood out to me as at least an honorable mention i like i like that you can cast it if your opponent's creature dies yeah agree i think the fact that you don't have to make your own creature die you can like just use fatal push like for three mana you get a 5-3 necrotal is like yeah maybe good enough uh so i like i like that uh as just a thing that it can do uh yeah and just yeah it's a really good rate um and there are not too many ways to make it hard to they're not that many it's not that difficult to make it work the, the show the next card sphere of annihilation x and a black artifact sphere of annihilation enters with x void counters on it uh at the beginning of your upkeep Exile Sphere of Annihilation and all creatures and planeswalkers with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it. And all creatures and planeswalker cards and all graveyards with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it. So put this into play on turn four for three X equals three on turn five, all three drops and in graveyards and in play go away. Yeah, now this card is a little interesting because it only hits creatures and planeswalkers, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't hit artifacts. Um, it doesn't hit uh, enchantments. 
it's just creatures and planeswalkers, which I feel like the kind of deck that wants to take advantage of this card and cast this card doesn't want it to be limited to creatures and planeswalkers. It, I think it's fine in the cases that it is limited to those cards. And maybe if you're an artifact heavy deck or you're like artifacts and enchantments, you're actually happy because it doesn't nuke your board. But I do think that in general, cards like this want to hit everything. And I think you're usually disappointed when you have a card like this and it doesn't get all of the stuff that you want it to get. Uh, I don't know. Like I play Wrath of God. Like Wrath is a card, Supreme Verdor cards I've played in the format. And this can be set up to be a one-sided version of that or better than those. Like, Yeah, but those cards get rid of everything when you play them. This has to wait a turn. Sure. That one turn difference is the thing that 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 is worrisome. And, and the problem that you generally have to cast something that is lower than the converted mana cost beforehand. I think this is like possible as a one of in like a Grixis control deck. But I agree that I think it's just just under the power level of where I want it to be. Well, I also think that the flip side of what I'm talking about is that it gets extremely powerful if you're playing an artifact-heavy deck that's not playing creatures because nothing on your board dies. You get to keep all of your sweet artifacts and things sure. you're building up. If you're playing an artifact control deck, this gets rid of planeswalkers, which is a big deal, and also creatures. So you're able to handle a lot of business. It's just that I... Yeah, I mean, this this card, will it will see play at some point because there will be a deck that wants to take advantage of exactly what this card does. It's just not going to be like a three or four of in some big format-defining deck. It's going to be a card that you have to wait to find the right deck for it. Right, right. Uh, next card, Ebon Death Dracolich. Two black black, legendary creature, zombie dragon, flash flying, enters the battlefield tapped. You may cast it from your graveyard if a creature not named... Ebon Death, Draco Lich died this turn 5-2. So you can't like sacrifice it, recast it, sacrifice it, recast it. This yeah. is, but otherwise, this is a very hard to kill 5-2 flying flash. Yeah, threat. I think this card's great. I think this card's really powerful. Now, there is the there is the reality that it costs four. So even if you're casting it from your graveyard, this is not the same thing as like the, as the uh, blue four mana Lich thing we were talking about. The, the skull. It's not like a blood gas or that type of a card because you obviously have to spend does. four mana to cast it. Um, however, it is a five two with flying. So that's where like the real difference is, is that it's more expensive. You have to pay for it, but it's really hard to kill. And if you're flashing it in, you don't actually really care that it's tapped. You can't block with it when it comes in tapped. So that's kind of a bummer. But if you set up, uh, if you, if you're setting up any kind of a recursive zombie centric sacrificing, whatever type of deck, you know, this does actually play pretty nicely alongside Grimwander with exactly that deck I was talking about with your, you know, Wild Canters and your Skirk Prospectors, where you can just sacrifice those things to generate some of the mana to cast this thing from your graveyard. And it is a recursive threat. Five is more significant than four. You only have to hit with this thing four times to win the game. So um, five is a pretty big chunk. I just think that probably having to spend the four mana to recast it is going to be a bit of a problem, but I do like this card a lot. I think this yeah. card's cool. I think you're going to play the crap turn of this and stuff like standard, and I don't know if I'm going to make it all the way to modern. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, what I do like about it is that it is a great like card in like it it, it is a jund playable card, right? Because Liliana can just you can discard this for value, yes, and then. Yes. If you have a creature, you can just like attack with a blood bright elf, have it get in. They like block or they block something else. And then you're able to get this or something that's really cool is you can discard this with Liliana and then later sacrifice your Dwathi Voidwalker to get it back. Yep. Right. I Too think well. like Dwathi Voidwalker being a key piece <laughs> to that option. Somebody pointed out in one of our comments that there is Dwathi. <laughs> it's just not Dwathi. It's just Dothi. Douthi. 
I don't. I don't care. Sorry, <laughs> I listeners. Know you don't care. <laughs> don't. I don't. I'm gonna call it Dwathi Void Rock for this. My life is gonna know bug you. you. You're never. You will never stop. Actually, if, fair. If we we can make we can make a tier on our Patreon. Uh, that if you spend X amount of dollars on our Patreon, I will work hard to learn to say a card of your choice correctly. And we're going to make an even higher tier that if we get to it, I'm going to play a song and Alex is going to sing. Sure. Yeah. But and yes. he's going to go for it. He'll give it his all. I'll give it. I'll sing my best. I'll sing my little heart out. And hopefully it's a song I know. I'll, I can sing like Bohemian Rhapsody right now. I, I can. You can. There you go. <laughs> Next card is Asararak. Another card I'm never going to send correctly. Acerarak, <laughs> the Archlich, Arklich, whatever. I hate it. <laughs> two, two black for a 5-5. Five, five. Legendary creature zombie wizard. When it enters the battlefield, if you haven't completed Tomb of Annihilation, return it to its owner's hand and venture into the dungeon. So three mana venture into the dungeon. And then it comes back to your hand. You get a creature ETB. You get a creature exit BTB. Uh, they're both ETBs. Enters and exits the battlefield. <laughs> um, when Asarak the Arc Lich attacks for each opponent, you create a two-two black zombie creature token unless that player sacrifices a creature. So, more importantly, uh, this with omniscience uh, goes infinite. Just mm. kills, just kills your opponent. So, uh, there are uh two of the dungeons aren't the dungeon this guy needs you to complete to stay and play every time you cast him and so oh. you can just play him for f- as l- if you could figure out a way to play him for free so in legacy Aluren just goes infinite with this guy this is an Alim- uh, an Aluren infinite combo you get to go through whichever dungeon you want as long as it is not tomb of the An- tomb of annihilation which is the one that he references infinite amount of times so you can just keep going through it again and again and again and again and as long as you can cast them for free, he bounces to your hand. You can cast it again, bounces to your hand, cast to your hand. So you can go with Omniscience, do that. With uh, the Rooftop Storm is yeah, actually right, what it's right, called. Right. You Because he's a zombie, you can go go infinite there as well. In Legacy or Commander or other formats, Aluren also goes infinite. So it, I think, is the one of the best just go infinite. I win if I have omniscience options in in modern that also has like some amount of versatility and playability otherwise. Right. Like it's it's actually not like the worst to like scry one, make a goblin token, sure. make it a, get a treasure token, make it a two two, draw a card. Right. Like it, it actually isn't going to be that terrible as a three drop five five that blinks in and out. But the point is you play it as like a, a, a way to win the game with with omniscience and uh, just go with it. Fair. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But it's like I'm there's too many too many words on the card. I like don't have a lot of thoughts on this card because I like read it and I, I, here's like, OK, this is like my old man. Get off my lawn thing. Um, I don't love cards that reference other cards uh, on them. Like if you have this and if you have this, if you have not returned this thing, not because I think it's not cool. Like I think it is cool. I understand why they do it and they do it because they want you as a uh, magic player, especially if you're a newer player to read the card and be excited to look for this card that it references. They've done more of this over the years. Like there's, I can think of like 10 or 15 cards now that have done this, but I have a hard time evaluating a card when I read it like this, that makes reference to something that's not in front of me. And I just, it just, it's a turnoff for me as a, as a, as a player. I'm not sure why, but, but you know that this, like you always have access to this card. 
right? The Doom card annihilation you're saying, you're, yeah, because 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 it's you're, because it's one of the dungeons. Yeah, like literally, literally, it's not a card, right? It's dungeons sit out of play. If you cast a card that references a dungeon, you can pick one of those dungeons. It now enters like the same spot that a companion hangs out in, and now it or like experience counters hang out in, and you can move your way down that specific dungeon. Tomb of Annihilation is one of the three dungeons. It's the one where you make a four four death god at the end of the whole thing or whatever. I, I fully I fully get it. I think my point is when I'm looking at this card right now offhand, I can't tell you what Tomb of Annihilation does. I don't know what that dungeon is offhand. Maybe I'll learn it at some point. Anytime I ever see this card in a pack or in a binder, unless I've memorized at that point what Tomb of Annihilation does or I have it handily to my right at that point, I'm not going to be able to just like write offhand no. But you, and, and you but you also understand why that it actually goes infinite by not getting that tomb of it by not getting Tomb of Annihilation, right? Like you get that. I want to explain it to you because if you don't get it, I'm, I want to make sure our listeners also get it. Instead of getting Tomb of Annihilation, you get one of the other two temples or one of the other two dungeons. And then okay. because he's free, you get to cast him for free infinite amount of times because he, he comes into play. You move over in the dungeon and then he returns to your hand. And as long as you don't complete Temple of Annihilation, the one that you don't choose, you can just keep playing him for free and he will keep returning himself to your hand and you'll get to keep moving it down the dungeon. And why is he free to cast? Because you have omniscience in play, or you have rooftop oh, store in play, or rooftop like that's what oh, the combo see. is, right? The reason you play this card is for the alluring combo. Is the best see, version of that. Uh, but there are decks in modern and er, commander that are playing omniscience that are looking for stuff like this that have like incremental value that can sometimes just win you the game uh, with omniscience. And so this card allows you to have that benefit. It's a versatile option as a win condition for omniscience decks, especially because the one that gets you a treasure token can be used to ramp into omniscience. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Uh, next card. Asmodeus the Archfiend. Four Archfiend. I see you comment section. Uh, four black black. Legendary creature devil god. Six six. Uh, binding contract. If you would draw a card, exile the top card of your library face down instead. Black black black. Draw seven cards. Or black, return all cards exiled with Osmodius the Archfiend to their owner's hand and you lose that much life. So possibly at a minimum in play, untap four black mana, you draw seven cards and lose seven life. Yeah, you, it's you like draw, some it's some yeah. for, it's some version of like a combination of like a gristlebrand and a uh, necropotence is kind of the, the general vibe of the card yeah the, the 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 effect that most people are talking about right now it, well there's a whole debate in my mentions on necrot like it's all about necrotic use right that's that's the card people are most excited by or other cards that can like exile things in your graveyard to gain their abilities and 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 necrotic use is is one of the best and the ability that like you can play necrotic use and then just pay three black to draw seven cards is right. like maybe good enough. That's like a four mana effect that lets you do it for a thing that you would put in your graveyard or you can just reanimate him into play to get it. And the other benefit people are like, the thing people are arguing is if Necrotic Ooze, and, and I believe from judge friends who are like level two judges, I thought if you had Necrotic Ooze and you had, uh, let me bring up the cards because uh, they will bring them up. But Arkslogger, I think is what it's called. Yeah, hey, Arkslogger, the red one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Arkslogger is three red, red beast for a four, five. Pay one red, remove the top 10 cards of your library from the game, and it deals two damage to target creature or player. Uh, it's like one of the early ways to like try and erase your graveyard for a dumb effect. Um, there was a conversation on 
if you have Necrotic Ooze in play and you have Arcslogger and Asmodeus in your graveyard, can you pay one red mana to do ten, two damage to a thing and exile the top 10 cards of your library and then pay one black mana to return all 10 of those cards to your hand? That's <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so dope. And right now, the jury is out. It has not been decided upon. It won't be until we get the official rules things. There's a lot <laughs> of people arguing that it does work, but then there's a lot of people arguing that there's an obscure ability called like linked referencing that a card that exiles something and then references the exiled card can't reference other cards that that card exiles for that ability it's like a linked ability in a weird way but because also draw seven cards is in the middle people are wondering is it linked because it's named with blinding contract is it linked so there's a lot of like weird rules around this card that literally my twitter mentions have not shut up for the entire day uh thank you i'm i live for interaction on twitter so please follow <laughs> me there at kess wiley i like it's i'm a vampire but for twitter attention uh only positive though but on the other hand this is just another grizzle brand like effect i think this is worse than grizzle brand in modern other than the fact that stuff like necrotic ooze can combo with it though necrotic ooze can also combo with grizzle brand but yeah. just draw seven cards and not pay seven life draw seven cards is is a maybe worthwhile way of not losing the game because you didn't yeah, lose seven I life. Think, I think I agree with you. So Gristlebrand's definitely better. Um, the hard cast of this being a six drop versus I think Gristlebrand's an eight drop maybe. Yes. Um, is significant. Six versus eight matters. Mm-hmm. But I would say if we're being honest, getting this into your graveyard and then necrotic oozing this and then from there, have like ca- casting Necroticus, which if I remember correctly, costs four, I think. Mm-hmm. So like it costs four. This has to be in your graveyard. Then you have to spend th- like three black to draw seven, which I'm not saying is not good. Of course, that's good. But it does cost triple black. Like it's still you're still paying like a real right. amount of mana. Right. So then you want to have mana open to do something with those cards. It's something very clunky. That's why I think this is just not as good, but maybe we'll be wrong and people will do cool stuff. I think some of that other funny stuff you're talking about is the, is the like maybe the funnest part. Yeah, yeah. If 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 the Arc Slogger Necrotic Goose this card combo is a thing, different conversation. Being able That's to like do two fun. damage to your opponent and draw ten cards is an insane is an insane ability. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we'll see. Um, now this this CDH the CDH community side though is like loves this card this card is yeah. like uh, uh, there's a really good rebel uh a dot i released like a almost the end of evangelion-esque uh seeing the world and the universe expand as she watched this card get printed and previewed this morning and i i also <laughs> highly recommend checking that that video out uh, as well um and that is the end for black that is the last black card ending cool. on a, ending on a devil god you know who would have thought 20 years ago, Magic was afraid of the card Devil, wasn't allowed to put a star in a circle. Now we got now we got Devil Gods. We've moved up in the world. Mm. We are now going to talk about artifacts, golds, cards, and lands. The next card is Eye of Vecna. This is a two-mana legendary artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and lose two life. Already love it. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, you may t- pay two. If you do, draw a card and you lose two life. So, colorless... Single player card draw comes on the front replacing itself. So it's like on a base level, pretty decent. And then if you're like a mono white deck or a green deck who wants this or a deck that just a red deck that needs to draw into stuff and you don't really care about your life total and you have the excess mana, like you 
you like flood out regularly or like a burn deck that like kind of needs late game card draw against different opponents. I think this is a great sideboard card. I think this is like a great option to like side in if you're an aggro deck against a control deck. I really like this card a lot. Um, I think that the fact that it comes down and replaces itself immediately is a big deal. Um, one thing that I've always... Artifacts that cost two that draw a card when they come into play have always been on my radar for years and years and years. Like, they're always good. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this is just going to be two mana, if it's in your opening hand, it essentially cycles, right? You play it, you get a card back. It allows you to keep hands that have less lands because you're you know you're going to be able to play this on turn two and draw a card. Right. But then also the fact that this is a card that does that, but then offers you the opportunity to just draw into more cards. I think this card's pretty fantastic actually, and it's colorless, and the ability to do it is colorless. Um, it's legendary, so you don't want to fill a deck with these. But if you are playing the right kind of deck and you play one of these cards, I see no reason not to play this. I I think this card's actually very good, and I'm calling my shot this is going to be a big time standard player this is going to be in big decks and standard i'm positive do you think do you think people will play the combo with this uh with the other like exile the two things to get this and the other thing yeah 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 uh i can't even like remember what it was but uh maybe you're talking about this and hand because the hand of vecna is the other one there's three Uh, i'm just going to google vecna Hand of Vecna is the equipment. Three legendary artifact equipment at the beginning of combat on your turn. Equipped creature or creature you control named Vecna gets plus X plus X until end of turn. When X is the number of cards in your hand. Equipped pay one life for each card in your hand. Equipped two. So you can, you can for three mana, just equip it. And then it gets plus X plus X equal to how many cards are in your hand. Uh, it's two mana to equip it, but you can pay one for each card in your hand to equip it. No, 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 uh, no, no. That you get there are two equipped options. You can either pay one life to equip it, or you can equip it for two. For yeah, yeah, for sure. I, you said you said you can pay three to equip it. That's why I was correcting you. Um, no, three, three to play it. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so and what's then, the, so so what is Vecna? Oh, it's the Book of Vile Darkness. Yes. right? that's the one. Yeah. So it's so it's it's black, black, black legendary artifact. The Book of Vile Darkness. At the beginning of your end step, if you lost two or more life this turn, create a 2-2 two, two black zombie creature token. That obviously plays with the pay-to-life thing. And then tap, exile, the Book of Vile Darkness, and artifacts you control named Aya Vecna and Hand Vecna. Create Vecna, a legendary 8-8 eight, eight black zombie god creature token with indestructible. It gains all triggered abilities of the exiled cards. So um, it, it is an 8-8 eight, eight that gets plus X plus X at the beginning of your upkeep equal to how many cards are in your hand and you may pay two mana to draw a card and pay two life, which then would create a two, two zombie. And also it, because it's of all of the exiled cards that includes the book of vile darkness, which means that because you lose two, you get the zombie at the beginning of the end step as well, because that's the third, that's the third exiled card. I thought, I thought I said that, but it, maybe I didn't. <laughs> I know I, I might have just I maybe you did and I was just not yeah, paying yeah. attention but yes. yeah it's a but pretty pretty shenanigans triple uh so if you have I, if you have I, say you have two cards in hand because you played hand of Vecna you you I have Vecna and you drew a card for the beginning of your turn yeah. at a bare minimum this is a 10-8 indestructible uh creature that brought a 2-2 into play <laughs> I mean, it seems really fun. Maybe it's more likely in standard that you would see somebody try to go for this. I can't imagine in modern somebody actually going for this because of it, because all of this work for an indestructible creature that can just get pathed is like basically useless. Oh yeah, I don't think this is. I don't have the other two. There's a reason we didn't talk about the other two cards in our modern. Yeah. as like cards to look at in the modern review, we just got here because of Ivecna. I think that 
it is a card that all like the fact that the book of Isle of darkness is close to actually playable right like if you lose mm-hmm. two life get a two two zombie at the end of each turn uh at the begin, at, sorry at the end of your turn is like close to a playable standard card if you build around it and th- the like the fact that Aya Vecna is like a totally like a staple has like the vibes of a staple means the other two cards feel like I could play one of each of these because and it's like part of a thing yeah. I'm gonna have for this one card it's not weird that, like because like Hand of Vecna is always gonna be okay right like a, a legendary equipment that gets plus x plus x equal to how many cards are in your hand that you can equip for free is not bad so like the issue with Aya Vecna is that it's legendary. That's the problem. That's the problem with the card. Well, but it cantrips itself. So you, if you if you if you got two of them, you just play it and let it die. You just pay two mana to cycle it. Yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah, it's a fair point. All right, on to gold cards. Uh, Gretchen Titchwillow, blue green legendary creature, halfling druid, two green blue draw uh, colon draw a card. You may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. It is a zero four. So is this very similar to another card? Uh, yes, it is very similar to, uh, the partner card. Thrasios? Thrasios. It is very similar to Thrasios. In fact, it is, instead of scry one draw a card, it's draw a card, put a land into play. I would argue that's better. Almost, like, entirely better. It does cost blue-green instead of four colorless. Um, this is a card that also loves the training grounds. It is also a zero four for two, which is not irrelevant, especially in decks that like to put extra lands into play mm. and like to draw cards <laughs> and have four mana to kind of spend on that. And it works with Mox Amber because <laughs> it's a legendary creature for two mana. I think, I think like a two mana zero four Thrasios in modern might actually just be playable. And, and this is just a, an option for that, that I think is pretty sweet. It's so on brand for, um, it's so on brand for what blue green has become these last few years. It's kind of, cr- I actually find it a little unsettling how much blue green has had this ability pushed. Like I look at this card and I, I mean, without training grounds, I guess it's just fine. It's not like a zero four for two that you have to spend four mana for this is that pushed, but it's just more and more and more of the same thing, which is just like blue green draws cards and puts lands into play to an absurd degree. Like, did we learn nothing? from uro did we learn nothing from like all these cards i don't think this is luro powerful maybe with training grounds in play it gets close to that right like being able to for blue and a green draw a card and put a little extra land into play might be just good enough but i do think i don't think this is uro i think this is like oh, oh no, no no not that's i don't i don't think it's uro at all i think what i mean is that i don't know that i'm that entertained anymore with blue green just doing this like the, I, give me some give me some variety with what blue green's doing now as a color combo like i don't know if just like more lands into play and drawing more cards is something that i wanted to see every set it feels it feels like we've been on this on this corner for a little while now maybe, sure. I know, maybe i'm just you know what I'm saying? I think I think part of it is that it's an ability that works together that is like relatively just fine. It's the same way that like red white equipment is in a lot of the sets. Like I think mm-hmm. it's just like it's its go to mode. Like blue green has two main modes. It's put land, extra lands into play or put plus one plus one counter tribal things. Yeah, and like it fair. can do other things. And when there's an opportunity for it to do that, like food or clue tokens, it will. But if there's not a specific thing for it to do, this is a go-to option. In the same way, I like when Red White isn't doing equipment or first strike tribal. <laughs> right. Uh, but sometimes that's just the way it is, though. Um, in the same way that sometimes Green White is life gain or tokens. And some way, mm-hmm. sometimes Black Green is graveyard shenanigans or sacrifice. You know, like... Yep. 
there's just things that the colors do and we've just been playing long enough that it becomes redundant i think the thing is that we've seen a lot more gold recently and and we're seeing enemy gold colors is is where and, we're at and if you're and if you're gonna do blue green i get it yeah and they're and they're simple abilities All i mean right. i i think it's cool next time we're going to sorcery's class you want to learn how to be a sorcerer? Come to sorcerer class. It'll teach you to sorcerer. Uh, when sorcerer class enters the battlefield, draw two cards and discard two cards. Then you can, which is, I think, inherently almost good enough. This is an Igit, is it charms base move. Uh, blue, red, the level two. Creatures you control now have red uh, tap to make a blue or a red. You may spend this to cast instants or sorcery spells or to gain a class level. So you can use yeah. those creatures to cast instants or sorceries or level it up. Uh, three blue red whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that spell deals damage to each opponent equal to the number of instant and sorcery spells you've cast this turn yeah so i don't think this card is pushed enough to make a modern impact really but the thing that stands out to me right off the bat is that it is a powerful card in the fact that it is doing that thing that is a charm does the double loot right off the bat in the blue red decks that want to fill your graveyard with things. If you want to get that lich or you want to get a Phoenix in your graveyard or something like that. Um, it's base ability is strong enough depending on which version of the, those types of decks you're playing. If you're playing the ones that specifically are referencing instants and sorceries, this is less interesting. If you're playing the ones that reference non-creature spells, they trigger when you cast the non-creature spell, this gets a little bit better. And then I also do think that the turning your creatures into blue-red tappers to give you mana for your spells can be interesting in certain versions of the deck, especially in the versions of the deck like the Young Pyromancer ones, where you're your uh, tokens that come into play are then going to be able to tap to add mana to cast more spells. That's the kind of engine that I can see this card really fitting into and kind of going ham. Um, the idea that every time you cast an instant or sorcery, it makes a one, one off, off of a young pyromancer, but then the next turn, once you've leveled up, all of those are able to tap to add blue to cast cantrips. That's, that's very good. That's a very, very powerful thing. Yeah. Um, all right, we're on to lands, baby. This one's a cycle. This is the the cycle of of uh, creature lands. This is hive of the eye tyrant, den of the bugbear, nest of the hydra, hall of the storm giants, and cave of the frost giant. And uh, each of them is a land that, if you control two or more other lands, it enters the battlefield tapped. So if you if you uh, if it is the first or the second land you play in a game, it comes into play untapped. Uh, if it is the third or later, it comes into play. Un- it comes, it, it hits untapped. So you want these early, which is really interesting. Um, these are like a little bit worse than fast lands um, in that sense, uh, mm-hmm. but they come with extremely powerful and comparable to the original cycle of creature lands. Uh, uh, creatures attached. So you have Cave of the Frost, jo- Frost, Frost Dragon, which is like very similar vibes to Celestial Colonnade, a uh, mm. 3-4 flying uh, white dragon creature. Uh, you have Den of the Bugbear, which creates a 3-2 red goblin creature with whenever this creature attacks, create a 1-1 red goblin creature token. So it like creates a cool land, t- uh, a goblin token while it's attacking. So it's a... Um, Whatever. It's a pretty common effect for goblins to do that. <laughs> oh, oh, Rabble Master? Yeah, Rabble Master. It's got Rabble Master vibes. Obviously, it's not everything Rabble Master was, but it's got Rabble Master vibes. You have Hive of the Eye Tyrant. Until end of turn, Hive of the Eye Tyrant becomes a 3-3 black Beholder creature token for 4 with Menace. And when this creature attacks, uh, exile target card from defending player's graveyard. It's the land, so like a, 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 an interesting piece of graveyard hate on a black land. Bajuku Bog move over. 
we don't need more Juku bugs. And then the Hall of the Frost Giant, Hall of the, Hall of the Storm Giants is five blue until end of turn. Hall of the Storm Giants becomes a seven seven blue giant creature with Ward three. It's still a land. So, uh, oh, and the last one is Nest of the Hydra X Green. Nest of the Hydra becomes an XX Green Hydra creature until end of turn. It's still a land. X can't be zero. So you yeah, lose. I mean, they're all they're all interesting. I think when you compare them to let's so let's compare them to uh, manlands and let's compare them to uh, monocolored manlands. Sorry, sorry. The 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 dual manlands and then the monocolored ones. Yeah. The difference is here that the none of the monocolored manlands that we used to get most famously, I think, is probably the three three trample for you know the the Jund one, uh, and then obviously you had the two one flyer, the fairy conclave. Um, those were pretty good. Obviously, the multicolored ones were better, and they were multicolored, so they had like a little bit more value. These feel like they're somewhere in between the two. Some of these are a little better, maybe, than the dual colored ones. Um, I think particularly the white one here stands out, but the problem with these is that well, I don't know. They're the fact that they can be untapped in the first two turns is powerful. I'll I'll admit to that. That matters a it's lot. Massive, yeah. Like the one of the problems with the creature lands is that they don't come into play early. Like they're terrible for aggressive decks, which are kind of the decks that sometimes need them the most as ways to like deal with late game. Their answers being answered. Like the the Hydra one and the Goblin one to me are like fascinating because like. First off, I think the black red one was always close to playable. Yeah, the pumpable one. Um, it just was like two mana too expensive for the fact that you also are going to have to pump it to be relevant. And the fact that it was always fire breathing. So it was never plus X plus X. It was always plus X plus zero. And the fact that this is going to be like a six, six for seven or a four, four for five. It basically haste creature land is like way better and a card that was almost good enough. I think the blue one um, actually stands out to me as notable. And the reason being that it is untapped on turn one for you to be able to cast like an opt or for you to be able to cast like, I mean, those decks don't really thought scour themselves, but like it's untapped on turn one to be able to serum visions. Um, and it comes in tapped later in the game, but those decks don't care about a tapped land as we've learned from Celestial Colonnade. So then the fact that like this is now a card where you can wrath or verdict or whatever clear the board untap and if it's later in the game you have a seven seven for yes. six mana like a four four vigilance is good a seven seven is bonkers that's that ends the game very quickly um now you have to have a lot of lands to be able to do that and still keep open interaction which those decks you know they like the fact that colonnade has vigilance that matters that it stays untapped mm -hmm. but i do think that blue having access to a seven seven is pretty significant like if like that's a big creature really with any of them like right like being able to because stoneforge mystic is in the game like being able to cast stoneforge mystic and have it come in as a like like you either get to play this on turn one and or two two stoneforge mystic is castable or if you have to cast it on play this on turn three like you draw into it you can still play Stoneforge Mystic or activate the Stoneforge Mystic activated ability, getting a cauldron into play. And then you have this, this creature land. Like I, yeah, I think, I think these are being really underrated. Actually. I think like a being able to come into play turn one and two untapped is like really underrated, uh, which is funny because so many people are often like anti tapped lands and then B like, this yeah, guy. You, you are uh, <laughs> B like, the 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 Kurt ape the the ape um the green one the green man land creature land that uh, came for some reason three. i'm having a hard time remembering it at the moment but yes green yeah, yeah. green one for a three three trample three three trample ape the 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 blue one that made a Street two top. on flyer 
Treetop Village and Fairy Conclave. Yeah. Treetop Village and Fairy Conclave were modern staples for a very long time, right? Yeah. Those cards were modern playable, and these lands are all better. <laughs> ish. I mean, ish. No, they're better. I would just rather... They, it's just because they can be untapped. That's the biggest reason. Uh, I would rather have a Hydra than a Kurt, than the Ape in the way that like especially because it can block like you can dodge lightning bolt right like like that's one of the reasons the card fell out of favor i would rather have like the goblin than it, the the other options right like obviously the red and the black one but like yeah i think overall they're definitely better and i think they're just better i think the only one that's maybe close is fairy conclave but it not coming into play untapped was like a big loss and these do come into play untapped yeah. yeah, huge. I mean, that's that that like that is the point. That's the that's the number one thing to take away from it is that um, your ability in modern to have a land in your opening hand that you've put into your deck that you can play in multiples that's untapped to do action in the first two turns is everything. Like that alone in itself elevates these to it in some levels better than even the 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 two color ones. Yeah, like I am agreed. so concerned with my opening hand when I build decks, being able to do everything that I want to be able to do in the first two turns of the game. Yes. And most of the time it's because the deck is stacked with one and two drops that if you play a tap land on turn three, you still have cards that want to cost one and two that are going to be able to utilize your untapped lands versus having, a, you know, an opening hand with two tap lands in it. And you just look at your hand. You're like, this is, I can't even keep this. I can't do anything. I'm a turn behind. Um, so I think that's pretty interesting. We'll see where these end up though. And the last card for the review is here. And it is the best card in the set. <laughs> I think. Is that true? It's your uh, favorite? I would, I would, this was my number one pick. And I think a lot of people, when we asked online beforehand, just to make sure we didn't miss anything, what their picks were, this was a lot of people's answer. And that is Treasure Vault. It taps for one colorless. It's XX tap, sacrifice Treasure Vault, create X treasure tokens. Seems good. You know how many times it's also, it took, it's you know, also an artifact. Yeah, land. you know how many times I had to read it to realize it was an artifact land. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool. It's like a blasting state or station or whatever. Or like it's like that's that's cute. And like you get treasure tokens, and so you can use it to ramp. Like, I don't know how good it is, but it'll be pretty decent. Oh, 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 it's it's an artifact land. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's really powerful. Um, between Horizons Two now and this, they've now pushed artifact lands to be in modern, which is cool. There are other options. It means it means what I think well, it means is that they're going to is an enchantment land, right? Uh, it is, but also there are the no, there's the, the come into play tapped. Oh, the come into play tapped ones. You're right. I forgot the about two those. color ones. Yeah I, yeah, I think they'll just unban the artifact lands pretty soon. I can't see any reason they would be printing these other things in. It seems like. They don't even seem dangerous at this point. The format's so powerful. I'm sure there'd be powerful things people could do, but not more powerful than other things. Um, but yeah, I mean, this card's really, really good. This card, the fact that it's an untapped colorless source that is also an artifact um, on, on its front side, but then it has this built-in late game ability of like, I'll create lots of artifacts. Like decks that want artifact lands, they rely on having lots of artifacts. So the fact that this can sacrifice late in the game to increase your number of artifacts drastically is such a huge boon to combine with the fact that now Urza Saga is a land that's been printed and that creates artifacts. Like you're definitely getting into the territory of I'm getting into the territory of wanting to build a Hellkite Tyrant deck very badly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shivam, Shivam was like almost yelling at Jules on the, on the, the commander stream yesterday for like, he had just built a cool treasures deck with all of the treasure cards and the new treasure cards from, from modern horizons. And then, 
this set came out and there's like 12 brand new amazing treasures cards that like threw the whole deck into turmoil but um yeah no this card's really great uh like making treasure tokens is really powerful being an artifact is powerful like late game you're able to kind of scale like in affinity like a gameplay mode is going to be like oh i top decked a ravager uh, I'll play this end of my turn. I'll XX make four treasure tokens, sacrifice this land, untap, sack all the treasure tokens, make my Ravager into a six six swing for six, right? Like, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, I think it's just really, just generally very, very powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah, the one card we did, the one card we didn't mention, I just wanted to point out because I think the name is so sweet. Uh, Frog Hemoth. <laughs> we didn't talk about a frog hemoth i just like there's a giant frog um all right i'm done that was it ben <laughs> yeah. was like no there's no way we're ending with this card is the best card and last card because the best card and last card frog hemoth frog hemoth yeah no it's, it seems like a fun set i hopefully i'll come around on the uh the big text box stuff and all the like d20s and all that stuff i right now feel a little overwhelmed by it like i feel like if i open a pack of this and i try to draft it it's gonna make my head hurt but there's a lot of really powerful, really cool cards. So this will probably be the first magic set since we're in the like, I feel really comfortable going and playing magic in person at stores again. Like this will be the first brand new set, I think, since that's happened. Um, you know, I'll probably play this like at FNM a handful of times is my guess. And so I'm excited for that. I'm definitely yep. excited to go and open some packs. It has like Coria vibes in the sense that it's going to be, it feels like like, playing with the cards is going to make them more fun than reading the cards. I agree completely, especially yeah, with I the agree. D20 and the like with the D21 and the D20 cards, which we didn't talk about a single one because maybe one of those will be playable. We'll see. Or the dungeon cards like these are cards that feel more viscerally easy to play with than they are to totally understand what they do ahead of time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see how it goes. Uh, for those, uh, make sure to check out the patron, as we mentioned, uh, maybe by the time this episode comes out, Ben will remember to add a feature that you get to pick a card. I have to say correctly. I'm hoping it costs like 30 mm. bucks though. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I will learn it. I will. And, and, uh, as more is included, I guess is a possible option to include, uh, as more, uh realizing what i'm signing myself up for um and then uh please check out our patreon patreon.com you also get the episodes early uh generally we apologize to our patrons this week we it, the episodes came out at the same time but normally they come out the same uh, a week ahead of time uh, on patreon so if you want to listen early it's there plus there's a bunch of bonus content uh that's really fun uh we also do um our live streams every monday night we talked about that last week we were shivam and uh jules robbins both both very influential people as in designers and cag members uh they were on the podcast or on the show that will be on the Kess games youtube channel we moved all of the commander content to a secondary youtube channel because like the algorithm didn't love having both uh uh the mm cast the modern content and that so we're now we're splitting it off so it goes to the old Kess games youtube channel. that's where like top decking lives um we have as well um one other thing oh oh uh, i have a tiktok follow me on tiktok at kess wiley indeed. i do content there indeed. and then ben is doing music he's got music out there in the world 
I do. I got two songs out there. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple. I'm all over the place. And I'll be touring in November. Check out tickets in the description of the video below. Uh, every single one of them will be kind of like a meet and greet hangout. So I'm looking forward to that. I'll hopefully see you guys on the road. And I might even try to drag Alex out on the road with me for at least one of these dates. Maybe I can get him in Chicago or something like that. Otherwise, guys, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Uh, we'll see playing uh, Commander before then. Bye, Absolutely. guys. Bye, everyone. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.